This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. A little shout out to everyone gathered in the YouTube live chat. Thinker, Not Gordian, Wilfred Witzke, American Zero, Chicken Patty 13. I love these handles. You betcha. A solar warden, of course. And uh, they're with us each and every week without fail. And I'll look for your comments and questions uh, this hour for Dr. Patrick Moore, the author of Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, but also in hour two during open line. So, Dr. Patrick Moore, back to uh, some of these uh, uh, dire warnings, fraudulent science, scare tactics. And uh, you were talking about plastic. So let's dive right in with this story about this uh, enormous island, uh, this great Pacific garbage patch, they call it, that's full of plastic twice the size of Texas. It sounds horrible, but you say it doesn't even exist. Well, that's correct, Richard. It does not actually exist at all. It isn't there. There is plastic floating in the ocean. It's dispersed very much so. It's not in huge patches. Uh, it, they, they only have made this up because no one can check it for themselves. It's part of the universal theory of scare campaigns. And the, 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 the sad thing is, is that I bought into this when it first came out because it made sense. That I knew about the Pacific Gyre, which is a place that, that the currents focus on in the center of the Pacific Ocean, and it, it does catch stuff like the Japanese glass balls when they used to use them as net floats. They used to get stuck in there, and then they'd spit them out. Every, it would spit them out every once in a while and come on the beaches on the West Coast, and people collected them. They went after a storm to be the first one there, if any came in. So I did know this sort of lore. But the truth of the matter is, is if you go on the internet after you have put in Great Pacific Garbage Patch in Pacific Ocean, uh, what you get is all kinds of photoshopped images that are not photographs of the Pacific. They are just, people have drawn a picture of a big blob on the Pacific Ocean and point an arrow to it and say, this is the Pacific garbage patch. And that's in my book. I show two examples. And the other one they use is the aftermath of the Japanese tsunami, which killed nearly 20,000 people, also wiped off a huge number of towns and villages into the sea and left a massive patch of debris off the coast of Japan. But they show a picture and say it's the Pacific garbage patch, but you can see mountains in the background. That's the mountains of Japan. So they fake that. And actually, though, if you go to a German composite from a, a, a German government agency that does photographs from satellites, and they do a composite so that they have a picture that is cloudless, because there's always some cloud somewhere in the Pacific, but there's some, everywhere in the Pacific has some days when there's no clouds. So they take the cloudless parts, 
and put them together from a year's worth of photographs. And there you have a cloudless Pacific. And in that, you can see the Hawaiian Islands quite clearly, and they're not twice the size of Texas. But there's absolutely no indication of any garbage patch. So when I'm challenged about this by members of the audience, they say a number of things. They say, one guy actually told me it was just the clear plastic, and that's why you can't see it from outer space. But that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, the second uh, thing is that it's just under the surface. Well, excuse me, but plastic usually either floats on the surface or sinks to the bottom. There's only a few different pieces of plastic that are going to find somewhere in the mid, uh, you know, between the top and the bottom. Most of it either sinks or floats. So that's not real. Then they resort to its microplastic. Oh, you mean it's invisible, right? And that's what it comes down to. It's invisible. And, but I thought they said plastic never deco- decomposed or degraded. Like how could it be in microplastics if it never breaks down? The truth is plastic does break down in the sunshine, just like almost anything does. And so, but when it's microplastic, it's totally harmless. I mean... We can, we can eat sand, and it just goes out the other end of us. And plastic is, and then they say it's toxic. Now, that's the worst one of all, because why would we wrap all our food and our meats in plastic wrap and put all our food in plastic containers if it was toxic? The reason we use plastic to wrap our food is precisely because it is not toxic and protects our food from contamination. So on and right. on you go, and you find out in the end because all the plastics pretty well are made from fossil fuels, some from, some, some from natural gas like PVCs made with natural gas and salt, uh, polyvinyl chloride and polyethylene can be made from natural gas, from oil. Some plastics are made from coal. And so really the war on plastic is just a proxy for the war on fo- fossil fuels. That's, where Interesting. that's the final underlying reason that they are trying to denigrate and make plastic into something that's like, they say dirty fossil fuels, they say toxic plastics. But there's no truth to it. But in the final so it's analysis, inert. there is it's no basically inert. garbage patch. It doesn't exist. Okay, so plastic is, is basically inert? Yes. Now, but it is uh, bloody unsightly, though, isn't it? I mean, you see, you see plastic bottles, water bottles particularly, everywhere. You see them on the beach. You see them floating in the water. Okay, let's say they are inert. But, but, my gosh, they're so unsightly. And, and we, occasionally you see a, a duck with his bill wrapped up in one of those, those plastic, uh, you know, that like a six-pack. You get those plastic tabs. He'll stick his beak through there. I mean, that stuff happens, right? How many times have you seen that? Probably the same video over and over, but <laughs> it does exactly. happen. Exactly. And that's the thing. And there are certain shapes of plastic. Discarded fishnets is the main one. There should be... And there, there are campaigns now to get fishermen to stop throwing their damaged nets overboard, uh, and especially if they still have floats on them, because those do catch things. That's what they're meant for. It's not because it's plastic. It's because of the shape they are. The same with the six-pack plastic rings. It's because of their shape that they're a problem, not because they're plastic. They do right. break down eventually in the sea. But most of the plastic in the sea is actually no different than driftwood in the sea. And it's a place for species to lay their eggs on. It's a species attached to them, like pelagic barnacles. That's the main one. It attaches to plastic the same way it attaches to driftwood. 
And there's many people who understand that, even in the ecological side, that they understand that plastic and driftwood are basically the same in terms of their hat, except plastic comes in different forms, like bottles and cups, and those can form habitat for species, especially if they sink to the bottom. So, there, the, and, and then there's the fact that seabirds are, are depending to some extent for plastic on providing a digestive aid for themselves and their chicks all through their lives. That those are all beneficial uses of plastic that's in the sea. And but your first point was the unsightly point. That's the difference between litter and plastic. Right. Sorry, litter and pollution. And poison. And pollution. Yes, right. we find we find litter unsightly, and uh, therefore I agree that people should clean up the beaches. But you know, I've lived on the west coast of Vancouver Island all my life, seventy-three years, and there was a period of time when plastic became prevalent in garbage, that there was a lot of plastic on the beaches. There's way less now than there was before. People are much more conscious about it. If you go up to the north end of Vancouver Island, which is right in where everything comes from in the Pacific, after the Japanese tsunami, all kinds of stuff washed up on the west coast of Vancouver Island two, three years later. But the fact is today... There is way less plastic on the beaches, and teams of people are going out and picking up what there is, and helicopters are taking it out. And in the final analysis, the solution to all combustible waste that is not suitable for recycling, like our film, all the plastic film that covers our foods and stuff, you can't recycle that. It should be put into waste to energy. In Europe, in Western Europe in particular, very often as much as half or even more in Germany Half of their municipal waste that isn't uh, suitable for anything else is used to make electricity in state-of-the-art plants. And it's like China's big into this now, and so are many other countries. North America is still putting 50% of its municipal waste into landfills, which are basically dumps where it's completely wasted and leaches out into waterways and stuff. That's got to end. But the problem is, is the green movement, so-called, is against burning things. They are actually against combustion. They're against burning fossil fuels. They're against burning wood. They're against burning waste. They're against burning anything. And that is ridiculous because fire was the beginning of civilization, of human civilization, keeping the cave warm and cooking your food in there. Right. And suddenly right. now we have a, a, a worldwide movement that's against burning anything, like to make energy. Uh, I'm getting a lot of, this isn't in the book, I don't believe, but I'm getting a lot of people in my YouTube live chat wanting to talk about Fukushima. We just passed another anniversary. The idea that, uh, you know, people are saying grave, these grave predictions about the Pacific Ocean is dead because of all the radiation pouring out of uh, Fukushima, the nuclear plant uh, in Japan. Uh, what do you say to people who, who talk about, uh, you know, this radiation and how it's killing the ocean, or the ocean is already dead? Oh, jeez, I don't know what to say to them. They should go to the ocean and take a look at it. It's so alive you wouldn't believe it. But the, the deal is, is there's been three nuclear accidents in 65 years. Three Mile Island, which harmed no one, period. Chernobyl which was the only nuclear accident that caused death to civilians and workers, 56 of them to be exact, according to the World Health Organization. No one else 
died from that besides those 56 people. And that was a shame. But the thing is, Chernobyl was a reactor that the design was made in Russia behind the Iron Curtain. They, they did a shortcut using their plutonium weapons production reactors to make electricity. It was a bad design. It had the opportunity to blow up, and that one did. And there's still 10 of them running in Russia, but they've modified them so they won't do that. But Fukushima, no one died from radiation in Fukushima. So if no one, no humans died who were in the reactor all around the town there, why do they think it's killed the whole ocean? I mean, that's ridiculous. It has not killed anything that anybody knows of. There were not fish washing up dead on the shore. No way. There was radiation released, and it, you know, radiation is, the sun is radiation. That's what makes it habitable for life on Earth, is the radiation from the sun. That, and, and the ultraviolet radiation in the sun's rays can give you cancer, which is why we put sunscreen on and don't take too much of it. And that's why people in tropical countries' skin turned brown, was in order to prevent so much UV radiation from penetrating into their under their skin. So, you know, radiation is a big subject. My book has a whole section on it explaining the the effects of radiation on life. But the truth is, many, many PhD radiologists believe in a theory called hormesis, which is the theory that small amounts of radiation are actually beneficial because they challenge the body's cell repair mechanism in the same way that a vaccine causes the immune system to react and strengthen you, your resistance against that virus or bacteria in the same way your body can build defense to radiation and other damaging uh, things that go into it. So the cell repair mechanism of, of living things, it has to be there because if it wasn't there, there wouldn't be any life. Your cells right. have to be able to repair any damage. And as soon as your cells are not able to repair the damage as fast as it is being caused by the external thing, then you die. But as long All right, as we've got to take a, we've got to take a quick time out, uh, Doctor Moore. We'll come back and chat some more about radiation, and um, uh, well, we'll uh, we'll also talk about this idea that one million species face extinction due to climate change soon. Doctor Patrick okay. Moore, fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom. Back with more in a moment. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back. And just a reminder, hour two open lines. Dr. Patrick Moore stays with us for, uh, well, about 20 minutes. And uh, he is uh, the author of a brand new book called Fake Catastrophes. Sorry, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. So let's talk about this uh, mass extinction. Over a million species, we're told, uh, are going Bye-bye very soon, all as a result of climate change. This is one of the most preposterous things I've heard for a long time, Richard. This, this trio of so-called United Nations scientists came before the U.S. Uh, Congress, a House Committee on Water, Oceans, and, and Wildlife, 
and told them that the very best estimates now are that there are 8.7 million species. We have actually documented, counted, and identified 1.7 million species, of a million of which are insects and spiders. Um, and then there's various amounts of others, like there's 5,000 mammals and 10,000 birds, and you know there's and and there's a, a whole lot of, of of invertebrates like slugs and snails and you know it just goes on there's a huge list but it's only 1.7 million and they say though that they're quite sure that the best estimate made by scientists is 8.7 million species and then they say and a million of those species are threatened with extinction in the next few decades well 2 million species 3 million species could go extinct overnight and you would never know what had happened because you haven't discovered them in the first place and I say, absolute balderdash, or whatever word you want to use, you can't say something exists if you haven't documented it and given it a name and taken a picture of it or whatever, right? And they're saying, actually, that there are 6 million more species than, I think that's, or is it 7 million more, whatever, than yes. we actually know about, and, and that a million of them are, 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 are going to go extinct soon. That's what they're saying. These are actual real people with apparent science uh, credentials in front of the government of the United States making this claim. And it's all in my book. You can see it. It's documented. There's no doubt about that this is what they did. Mark Morano and I were both there. He's from Climate Depot in, in, in Washington, D.C. He's been working on this all his career, too, just like I have. And the two of us gave an alternative presentation. They, they ended the meeting, and that meeting was never noted, was never put down on paper. Two weeks later, they went to a different committee, didn't invite us back, because they didn't know we were coming in the first place. We were nominated by the Republican side. They went into another different committee and held a meeting with just those three so-called scientists, and that was the official record ah. of, of the Congress. I'm telling you the truth. That was one of the most outrageous things I've ever seen in my life, to pretend that there are species that don't exist, millions of them, right? And then pretend that they are threatened with extinction, even though we don't know that they exist. That's well, the again, that's, that's the invisible catastrophe, right? If, if, you're, if you're saying that there are all these species we don't know, we, we can't point to them, but we can tell you that they're about to die, there's no evidence. Yeah. It's no, very convenient, not. very neat and tidy. I think, I, I don't know, I, I'd call it worse names than that. <laughs> Bald it's a family lie. show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this, um, you know, I was reading recently, there's this new branch of psychology that's, that's emerged just to deal with, and they've even given it a name, and psychologists love to label things, but they're calling it eco-anxiety. So we have an entire generation that is growing up in schools, that's the primary source, you know, where this this fear is being propagated with young people. Yep. And yep. so now we have an entire generation of young kids. They come home, they have nightmares, they have anxiety, they are depressed because of what they're being taught. They're being taught that, that the planet is doomed. You know, we've got 10 more years left. How do we, I mean, how did we arrive at this? How can we allow our children to be abused in our own public schools at taxpayers' expense this way. 
Well, it's the great march through the institutions of socialism and basically communism and basically Marxism. And this is, you know, it's been, there's been a lot of media on this lately, on the alternative media, as you might call it these days, uh, going back in the history to Marcuse and, 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 and the others who have been promulgating these ideas against free markets, against democracy, etc., etc., and basically the, the, the dictatorship of the elites, and, and that we should all just shut up, and they should all just tell us exactly what to do. And this is coming out in the whole COVID issue, of course, because now I find myself having been vaccinated, and my status has not changed one iota. I now still have to wear a mask everywhere. I still can't go here and there. I still have to be quarantined for 14 days. When I, after I've had three negative tests, for COVID, I still have to be quarantined. I still can't do this. I still can't do that. Right? This right. is what we've been played. We've been played. Yeah. We are right. being played. Yes. We've and, got to take one more final. Tell us when they can't tell us why it's different after you've been vaccinated. When they told us for a year that once you got vaccinated, you'd be okay. Uh, like, and 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 they're they're even canceling people for asking that question now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's, very... that's the state we've got to. And it's the same with the environment. Uh, if you question the doomsday narrative, like people, I mean, AOC said it. She said the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't stop using fossil fuels. What kind of baby talk is it to say the world is going to come to an end? <laughs> uh, people, Indeed. I've got, to, people... I've got to take a time out, Patrick. We'll come back and we'll, we'll talk some more. Dr. Patrick Moore, fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. A reminder once again, open lines at the top of the hour. And uh, I'll introduce you to some audio, uh, anyway, by way of some audio clips to an Idaho pathologist, Mayo Clinic trained, board certified pathologist with expertise in pathogens and viruses. His name is Dr. Ryan Cole, and he's been banned on YouTube. And uh, But I want you to hear the, uh, the audio, and so we'll do that. Dr. Patrick Moore stays with us, founding member of Greenpeace, former president of Greenpeace Canada, the sensible environmentalist, and his new one is Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. So uh, let's just dive in and talk about... Um, uh, CO2 and uh, climate change, and the idea that somehow CO2 is driving uh, ocean acidification, and uh, that well, what what is the argument from their side that that CO2 drives up ocean acidification, and then what is that going to do? Well, that's that's actually a total fabrication. At least with CO2 causing warming, there is the fact that it's a greenhouse gas, a very minor one, in fact, but at least it is a greenhouse gas, and therefore it's plausible to suggest that it might cause warming, all else being equal. But there are so many factors involved in the atmospheric climate that some things, you know, other things could override 
the increase in CO2 as a greenhouse gas. Well, that's another story. But it, it happened during the 20 years uh, from about 1990 to 2010 when there was really no significant rise in global temperature, even though CO2 emissions were still increasing exponentially worldwide, with China at that point becoming ahead of the United States and now way ahead of it in CO2 emissions. So they had to have a fallback story. So they, 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 they ended up deciding on this ocean acidification narrative. Narrative being a word that I believe should be confined to works of fiction because it is not a science word, but you'll see it used all the time to describe their stories, i.e. fairy tales. And, and ocean acidification is no different. They're saying that if there's more CO2 in the atmosphere, it will dissolve into the oceans and make the oceans acidic. It's impossible to make the oceans acidic. They are so alkaline or basic, up above 8 in most cases, whereas 7 is neutral, it would be impossible to have enough CO2 in the atmosphere to make the oceans actually acidic. So when you say, no, that can't happen, they say, well, it makes it more acidic. No, no, sorry, what you mean is less alkaline. You don't mean more acidic because it's not acidic, it's alkaline. And they use the word acid and acidic because it's got negative connotation, whereas alkaline and basic, people don't think anything about that. Uh, th- th- it doesn't have a negative connotation. and It's like Alka-Seltzer is basic, is alkaline. And, and actually, vinegar is quite acidic. Uh, and it, you can drink a lot of that without getting into trouble. But CO2 cannot make the oceans acidic. Most important fact is, not only is CO2 in the ocean the most important food for life in the ocean, in the same way it is in the atmosphere for plants, for plankton in the ocean, that's what they eat. They eat CO2, and that's what they make sugar with. That's the basis of life in the ocean, just like it is in the atmosphere. If there wasn't any CO2 in the ocean, the pH of the ocean would be 11.3, which is the same as Drano. In other words, the ocean could not support <laughs> life at all if there was no CO2 in it. It is the CO2 that brings the ocean down to a level of alkalinity or a level of basic, which is supportive of life, which is 8, pH 8, ranging from pH 7.8 to 8.4. And, but if you look at an area like where I live, where there's a huge river coming into the ocean, the intertidal zone, a huge tide flats full of shellfish, mussels, and, and, and clams, and, and oysters, and ton of other things, the pH there and the temperature there and the, all the different factors there, the oxygen content, changes radically between tides every day, and those things are surviving there. So the idea that a little more CO2 in the ocean would cause some catastrophic change is absolutely ridiculous and preposterous, and I go into great detail in my book on that subject and the other subject that has to do with CO2, of course, which is climate change in the global atmosphere. Those are the two most complex subjects in my book, but I explain them in ways just like I have tonight about other subjects that anyone can understand who has a proficiency of English, say above grade 8 or 9, can understand what I'm saying. And I also have over 100 color plates which show people in graphics and in photographs and in graphs and illustrations 
gives them a, a, a better picture, because one picture or one uh, graph is worth a thousand words. And so the, the book really does give a person a very full grounding, not just in the climate issue, but in all the scare stories, the main ones at least, uh, that are making our children afraid uh, to grow up. And, and, and that, that is, I think, a crime against humanity. It's evil. There are evil people in the world today who are spreading evil ideas, and we're in a time of good and evil, a biblical kind of time. Uh, and I'm not a particularly religious person, but I know the difference between good and evil, and we are seeing it right now. I agree. I hope one day there is a class action lawsuit against uh, education ministries or uh, everywhere that uh, this has to stop. Uh, let me just there's just a few minutes left and you are the sensible environmentalist. There are some things that are of concern. Uh, you know, we need to be good stewards of this planet. Give me a couple of things that concern you um, about the environment, what we should be doing it. Uh, about it, what, what uh, I don't know—is it overfishing? Is it um, indoor pollution? You know, a lot of the the the, the world survives by burning uh, cheap fuel inside their their homes in in developing nations, and they develop respiratory ailments. Uh, indoor pollution is a huge problem. But what are some of the, the the environmental threats you think we should be addressing? Well, it's interesting as you mentioned the fisheries. Uh, the wild catch of ocean fish has leveled right off for the last 25 years and is now being, uh, the increase in seafood is all coming from aquaculture now. And aquaculture, when I started a salmon farm in Winter Harbor when I left Greenpeace, then they came out against my salmon farm. I'm going, you guys are against farming fish. What on earth are you in favor of? <laughs> and so, so I, I farmed salmon there and for 10 years. Uh, and then went back into international environmental work again, which would be inevitable almost. And, and only this time with an emphasis on balancing the social, environmental, and economic priorities, instead of just saying only the environment counts, because there are all these people, uh, and, and they have to be part of the equation. There's no doubt about that, unless you want mass death, which is not the most loveliest of prospects. Uh, so I... I I believe that we have leveled off on our exploitation of the oceans at a somewhat of a sustainable level. I mean, interestingly about the word sustainable and renewable, fish are renewable, but if you overfish it, it's not sustainable. Iron ore is non-renewable, but there's enough of it for a million years. So it's sustainable, even though it's non-renewable. People don't often make those distinctions between those things. Right. And, right. then, and, then there's, and then there's the word green, which is completely impossible to define technically. It's just a whitewash word that people just use to defend their own point of view when it actually has no basis in technical or scientific description. None whatsoever. And you could say, well, what does it mean, non-polluting or... What does it mean? Renewable? What does it mean? Sustainable? Like <laughs> anti-capitalism. It means anti-capitalism. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what it means, Richard. You've got that one right. So I believe that this issue of indoor air pollution in African huts is really important. They don't even have a chimney. They're burning dung and wood in there with huge fumes. The reason that charcoal was invented was partly because you get rid of the poisonous gases when you make charcoal, and now you just have pure carbon to burn, and all you're getting is more or less CO2 coming off it. 
I just want to give one last funny story. I used we to have laugh about a minute. people we have about a minute their plants here. talk to them. Their plants like yep. it when, when you talk to them. You know that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I laughed at them. I said, well, no, they haven't got ears. But the truth is, when you talk to your plants, you're breathing out 40,000 parts per million of carbon dioxide. <laughs> you're giving them supersaturated fertilizer. And that is why they like it when you <laughs> talk to them. It's true. Brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> You've solved it. There you go. Dr. Patrick Moore, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. That's available Amazon and where else? It's available on Amazon.ca and Amazon.com and Amazon all over the world. And they've got a bit of a monopoly, but thankfully they're selling my book. Fantastic. Dr. Patrick Moore, always a pleasure. Thank you for uh, such uh, enlightening conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Anytime. All right. When we come back, open lines, hour two. Stay with us. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck. I love those truckers. RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Open lines this hour. Let me give you the phone numbers in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. And uh, I mentioned that I have some audio, uh, I've come prepared with tape. Uh, if you come from the analog world, as I do, uh, we used to say about um, radio producers that would go out into the field and bring back some great audio. You you bring back great tape. Of course, it's all digital now, but uh, I've got some clips for you. Uh, audio that I, I grabbed off of Instagram. Actually, it was the mighty Aphrodite who was on Instagram and saw this half-hour video by a Dr. Ryan Cole in Idaho. And uh, what he had to say was it was very pretty commonsensical stuff about vitamin D and how we should be treating COVID patients therapeutically with vitamin D. And But he says, uh, for some very strange reason, 
But what he says, rather, for some very strange reason, doctors in North America, for the, for the most part, are not doing it. He calls it practicing therapeutic nihilism. And, uh, you know, I happen to know a doctor up north. In fact, he's a regular on my uh, radio program uh, weekday afternoons on Saga 960, uh, Dr. Patrick Phillips. You may have seen him on uh, Twitter, Dr. P underscore MD. And uh, he's a small town family physician and a lover of freedom. And he comes on and uh, sort of counters the narrative that we're hearing from many other doctors. And he's with this group concerned um, Ontario doctors. Anyway, he was telling me that in the ER where he is and in the ICU, he's not allowed to prescribe vitamin D to COVID patients. And so I asked him, I said, that sounds ridiculous. What happens if the patient demands, right? Isn't the patient supposed to be in control of the treatment? And he says, well, it has to be approved in that case by the, I guess, the ICU, the head of the ICU. And he says he hasn't met one yet that will prescribe vitamin D. So, you know, here we are. And they're telling us now, in fact, it was on the front page, I think, of the Toronto Star. There's not much we can do at this point, folks. They're saying with COVID, there's not much we can do uh, to treat the patients. They put them on ventilators and I guess in some cases steroids to reduce inflammation, but not much. Anyway, uh, I want to introduce you to Dr. Ryan Cole. I'm going to I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, and uh, these, first of all, let's establish his bona fides. This is Dr. Ryan Cole in Idaho. Um, yeah, it, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, I uh, run Cole Diagnostics. It's one of the largest uh, independent laboratories in the state of Idaho. Started it 17 years ago. Um, I'm a Mayo Clinic trained, board certified uh, pathologist, uh, board certified in anatomic and clinical pathology. So, yes, I have expertise in immunology and virology. Um, I also have subspecialty expertise in skin pathology, so I do a lot of skin cancer diagnostics as well. I've seen about 350,000 patients in my career. Uh, we've done about 100,000 COVID tests in the past year, so it is right up my alley, and so I'm not just blowing smoke today. This is my area of expertise. So I want to be able to share with you today actual science. You know, we get a lot of politics from one side, the other side. I'm not here to offend one side or the other. I'm here to speak data, and the data speaks the truth. And so I have no agenda. I just want people to understand, one, how, what public health messages have we been missing? You know, what treatment should should be available to everybody? So I've only read maybe 6,000 articles in the last year. only seen, you know, like I said, 100,000 patients. Okay, so that's Dr. Ryan Cole introducing himself. And I should point out that this was taken down from Instagram, but uh, we grabbed it before it could, uh, before it disappeared. And then I uploaded it to my private YouTube channel so that I could just simply share the link with friends and family. And then YouTube tore that down and told me, you know, tisk tisk, don't do that again. Uh, and then if I did post it again, they would suspend my channel. What is so controversial about vitamin D? Anyway, uh, so then I posted it to Rumble where it still sits, and I have the link, and I've been sharing that with friends and family. In fact, as a public service, if there's any of you that would like to see this video uh, about controversial vitamin D, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Anyway, uh, send me an email through the website. Go to strangeplanet.ca. There's a contact page, and I would be happy uh, happy to share that link with you, and you can see this. But uh, here is a Dr. Ryan Cole talking about who is at high risk? 
six to nine month life cycle. And no matter what we do, they're going to do what they do. And then they're going to fade. What happened to SARS? What happened to MERS? What would what did we do to stop them? Nothing. They did their thing. Um, Average uh, COVID-19 death, age 78.6. Average age of death in North America every year, 78.6. That's fascinating. Um, what, are our, what are our highest risk factors? Obesity, low vitamin D levels, advanced age. 90% of deaths in the state have been over 70 years of age. That's the at-risk population. We have stopped our society for something that's taking people that are already at that death risk age anyway. The virus is fragile. These are just little tidbits. It's fragile. It doesn't live outside. UV light fractionates it, kills it, blows it apart. Ventilation in the wind blows it away. It is insanity to wear a mask outside. It is absolute insanity. And that's that's science. That's science. There is not one study that has shown any super spreader event to have occurred outside. They have all been indoors with poor ventilation. All right. There you go. Uh, just a little tidbit, Dr. Ryan Cole. And um, all right, so I want to talk about now, I want you to hear him rather talk about um, vitamin D. This is this is the, the important one here. This is Dr. Ryan Cole talking about vitamin D. Oh, how how dangerous this is to talk about vitamin D. All right, biggest lost message on this entire pandemic is vitamin D. There is no such thing, and if I can give one message to all of you for every winter and autumn for the rest of your lives, there is no such thing as flu and cold season. There is only low vitamin D season. Vitamin D, every cell in your body, every nucleus has a receptor for vitamin D on it. 2,000 genes in your body are controlled by vitamin D. 5% of your body's genome controlled by vitamin D. It is the master key to your immune system, the master key. If one has a level in mid-range, you cannot develop a cytokine storm. Data shows what kills people? Cytokine storm. If you are in mid-level range, you will not die from COVID because you cannot get a cytokine storm. So we don't just have a viral pandemic. We have an international vitamin D deficiency pandemic, i.e. 70% of the world is immune suppressed. 70%. 70 to 80% of all Americans are immune suppressed because they are D deficient. 82 to 88% of nursing home patients are D deficient. Who's dying at the highest rate? Nursing home patients. 83% of African Americans, 70% of Latinos, 72% of Native Americans, 47% of Caucasians are insufficient and 70% are are deficient. And well, 47% are are deficient, 70% of Caucasians are insufficient. Um, 80% of all hospitalized patients statistically are vitamin D deficient. 96% of people in the ICU are vitamin D deficient. If you are D deficient, you are immune suppressed, you are susceptible to the common cold, the flu, coronavirus of any sort, bacterial pneumonia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The best mask of all is a healthy immune system. And a healthy immune system does not occur if you, if you don't have D in normal range. Well, how do we get D? Sunshine. You know, we synthesize it through our skin. Um, above the 35th parallel in the world or below the 35th parallel for four to five months of the year, you cannot synthesize vitamin D through your skin. The older you get, the harder it becomes as well. Vitamin D is critical. Every Idahoan, if you do not supplement, you are vitamin D deficient. You are immune suppressed in the fall and the winter. So here's a good map of the 35th parallel. Anybody above that line is vitamin D deficient all winter long. Did you get that? 
if you live above the 35th parallel, well, we're way above the 35th parallel, right? We're parts of Canada above the 44th parallel. We can't get vitamin D through our skin outside in the sun in the fall and winter, which coincides with cold and flu season. Isn't that interesting? So just to repeat what he said earlier, there's no such thing as cold and flu season. There is vitamin D deficiency season. Uh, all right. I will play some more clips uh, of Dr. Cole throughout the hour, Dr. Ryan Cole. And again, this was taken down from YouTube. Ask yourself why. Vitamin D we're talking about here, folks. This is not controversial stuff, but now it is apparently. So and then again, we look at these headlines. There's nothing we can do for patients. And I, and I, I, I knew uh, or I know someone uh, who, uh, who came down with COVID. And that's basically what she was told. You know, wh- you know, why go to the hospital? What can they do for you there? There are no therapeutics. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was this was a story out of Buffalo or Batavia, which I guess is near Buffalo. And uh, a judge there has ordered a hospital to treat a coronavirus patient with ivermectin. And if time permits, I want to play a clip about ivermectin as well. So the state Supreme Court, this is uh, New York, right? New York State Supreme Court Justice has ordered a Batavia hospital to administer the drug ivermectin to an 81-year-old COVID-19 patient. The case involving John W. Swanson, a farmer from Stafford in Genesee County, is the latest of several in which judges have ordered local hospitals to give ivermectin to patients suffering from the virus. The drug is used to treat other ailments, but is not yet approved by the federal government as a COVID-19 treatment, right? This is off-label. Ivermectin is uh, used to treat parasites. Your vet probably uses it to deworm, deworm horses and dogs and so forth. So Swanson, now get this, Swanson, again, 81 years old, was on a ventilator and on death's doorstep at the United Memorial Medical Center when doctors there gave him one dose of ivermectin on April 1, according to an affidavit filed in court by attorneys for Swanson's wife, Sandra. Quote, after that one dose, one dose, he started breathing on his own. He was taken off the ventilator and was making great progress, according to attorney Ralph C. Larigo who represents the Swanson family with John F. Muneer. Then the hospital refused to give him additional doses. They give him one dose. He's off a ventilator after he was pretty much written off. Then they refused to give him an additional dose. State Supreme Court Justice Frederick J. Marshall issued an order on April 2nd, directing the hospital to give Swanson four more doses of ivermectin. As of late Friday afternoon, His attorneys described Swanson as stable. I definitely think it's the ivermectin that's helping him, Sandra Swanson told the Buffalo News. But she said she's upset and frustrated that hospital officials would not allow her to visit with her husband. They held the phone to his ear. And I read him a long list of people who are praying for him every day, about 20 people. But I need to see him. While ivermectin is not yet approved by the Food and Drug Administration as a treatment for COVID-19, 
Many doctors, including some in Western New York, are offering the drug to their COVID-19 patients. A hospital spokesman, Veronica Chizy, declined to comment on Swanson's case. All right, so you're not going to get ivermectin up here. I don't believe doctors are allowed now to prescribe it, which is interesting. It is available online, interestingly enough, from various veterinary uh, places. And you could order it. Ivermectin's been around for, what, 40 years? I believe it won the Nobel Prize. It's an it's a, it's a, um, antiparasitic, but it also apparently works on viruses. It's a molecule. It doesn't know the difference between COVID and, and, and other things. It just it destroys viruses. But they will not prescribe it. And they will not prescribe vitamin D. So let me give you an update. Oh, and let me also just to, once again mention the phone numbers if you'd like to talk about anything tonight. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. 416-360-0740 and toll free 866-740-4740. And if uh, Ryan, who's running our live stream, Ryan, if you want to pass along some comments from our um, our YouTube live chat members, you betcha, and uh, uh, who else do we have? Kiora12, and Yway, of course, Anella, John Porter, Sigma6, Solar Warden. Uh, if they have questions or comments, please post pass those along as well. Um, but I want to just, here's the follow-up. Here's the follow-up. After the judge ordered the hospital to use experiment COVID-19 treatment, the woman has recovered. A judge ordered Millard Fillmore Suburban Hospital last week. This is the se- a second case where the, ju- where the courts had to intervene because the doctors would not prescribe ivermectin. The judge ordered Millard Fillmore Suburban Hospital last week to give a COVID-19 patient an experimental treatment. And her family and attorney said they believe that saved 80-year-old Judith Smenkowitz's life. The drug, ivermectin a pill sometimes used to treat children with head lice or to uh, rid dogs and cats of worms is not yet approved by the federal government for use against COVID-19. But Smenkowitz's son and daughter call it a miracle drug in their court papers. So do her attorneys as well. This lady was on a ventilator. Here we go again, literally on her deathbed before she was given this drug. Larigo told the Buffalo News about Smenkowitz, a Chictawaga resident, As far as we're concerned, the judge's order saved this woman's life. Larigo said one doctor at the hospital allowed the patient to be given the drug, but but after she had been given one dose, another doctor at the hospital refused to allow further doses. Why? When someone's at death's door, what is the harm in trying something like this? They just dig in their heels. State Supreme Court Judge uh, Nowak sided with the family and ordered the hospital, ordered them, a court, ordering the hospital to resume treatment. Dr. Thomas Russo, one of the region's leading experts on infectious diseases, said he was glad to hear that Smenkowitz is doing better. But he said people should never jump to conclusions about ivermectin or any other drug based on one patient's outcome. (laughs) Ha ha, one patient. Well, as we'll hear later from uh, Dr. Uh, Ryan Cole, Four billion people 
have taken ivermectin. Four billion people, not not since COVID, but since it was first introduced in the market. And I believe he said maybe one or two deaths attributed to ivermectin because they had, they later discovered, a genetic disorder. So those are pretty good odds, right? One or two out of four billion. Uh, all right. 416-360-0740, And uh, what do we have here? We have a couple of minutes. Do I have time for another clip? I think I can. Uh, I want to um, play this one. I think I've got time for this one. Uh, this again is Dr. Ryan Cole from Idaho, a pathologist. <laughs> naked thinking you're getting sunshine from October through March like this fine gentleman here in the snow and the amount of vitamin D you will synthesize from October through March outdoors running naked in your tutu is zero absolutely zero if you do not supplement with vitamin D in the winter time you are immune suppressed next please most insurance companies in Idaho and northern states do not pay for a vitamin D test, unfortunately. Other countries, Scandinavian, test their citizens twice a year. They supplement 35 foods on their food shelves with vitamin D. Why is Finland, Norway, Sweden doing so well? They take care of the public health of their individuals. They know that this is public health message number one for their immune health, so they do something about it. 80% uh, of Americans also are magnesium deficient. Our soils are depleted. Vitamin D and magnesium play a fine dance. You need them both to work together in order to have a functional immune system. We're also zinc deficient, 70 to 80% of us in this room. Diet, 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 diet. What you eat matters. It affects your immune health. Um, obesity is drastically reduces your ability to get vitamin D into your circulation. D is a fat-soluble vitamin. The heavier set you are, the more it goes into your fat and not into your circulation to stimulate your immune system. Uh, normal D levels also decrease colon cancer, breast cancer, thyroid cancer rates, depression rates, suicide rates. Eight out of the ten highest suicide states are northern-tiered states. Go figure. Because vitamin D, it's not a vitamin. It's a pro-hormone. And again, it affects thousands of genes in your body. You get a D level up to normal, you decrease risk for all of these things, not just COVID. Next, please. All right, most physicians, unfortunately, don't know how critical this is. This should be public health message from the pulpits of Washington, the pulpits of every state. Where we're pulling our hair, henny penny, this guy is falling, oh no, oh no. What really matters is, look, if you have a healthy immune system, you have a healthy population. And we are not emphasizing that. It's, oh gosh, mask distance, there's nothing we can do. It's our, there is something we can do. Give the right message. And the right message is, you can take control of your immune health. You can do something about it. You know, what goes into your body does matter. Um, public health officials have ignored this critical message. Um, normal D levels decrease your COVID symptom severity risk for hospitalization by 90%. That's the world data now. There have been a lot of placebo-controlled trials that show this all around the world. It is scientific fact, not just a correlation like a lot of doctors will tell, oh, gosh, that's that vitamin stuff. I'm like, no, it's an essential part of the human body. It is an essential pro-hormone that your body naturally makes in the sunshine from spring through summer. Only a couple hours a day. We can get into that later if there's questions. Because there's only about a three-hour window a day without your sunscreen. Don't tell the dermatologist that I serve. You need to be outside for 20 to 30 minutes during the spring and summer to get natural vitamin D. In the fall and the winter, you need to supplement to boost your immune system. There you go. All right. 
We'll take a quick time out, come back. More from uh, Dr. Ryan Cole. Your calls and comments right here on the, the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. If you're on the uh, the YouTube live stream at Strange Planet, my, uh, my webcam has conked out, so sorry about that. You'll have to look at my, um, my picture for now. And um, I've been trying to get it back with no luck. So I'll have to get the IT department, which <laughs> that's my twin boys, 14. They're the IT department, but of course, they're fast asleep. So hopefully for next week, we'll have that rectified. They're actually building this whole studio for me. Uh, new computer monitors, new desk, new everything. It's, uh, it's uh, remarkable. Anyway, uh, I want to get to some uh, questions and comments from the YouTube live chat. And then I'll play some more clips from Dr. Ryan Cole. And based on what you've heard so far, can you figure out why this is being taken down by YouTube? It's very strange, isn't it? Big tech, I think we now know whose side they're on. This is sinister. This is absolutely sinister. This is common sense stuff, vitamin D. It's science. This is not some hocus pocus, you know, new age stuff. He's got the data. Uh, you betcha in the YouTube live chat asks how I view the order not to leave home, given that most infections now are people in tight warehouses and food processing plants. Shouldn't we refocus and help them? Ah, well, yes. Um, you know, that's that's the influenza preparedness plan that was put down in 2014. And I think all the provinces had a similar plan. You focus and this is the Barrington Declaration, right? Again, not uh, this is not uh, controversial stuff that the Barrington Declaration is proposing. Focused uh, care. That's what the influenza pandemic preparedness plan was all about. You focus on the most vulnerable and you let the rest of society get on with their life because it's not, uh, it's not a health emergency. It's a public emergency. So you have to deal with all the different facets. You have to keep the economy running. That's what the pandemic, the influenza um, preparedness plan talked about. The need to keep a society up and running at all costs. And they threw that out the window. I guess it's the fog of war, perhaps. Let's be charitable and say that's what it was. They got a little confused and they threw the plan out the window. A perfectly good plan. It's like SARS never happened. It's like this is all somehow new. Yes, the, the virus perhaps is some novel, but it's a coronavirus. They've been around for millions of years. Uh, so, yes, we should be focusing attention. This is the greatest policy blunder. Imagine if these folks were, were around during the Second World War and they were organizing the war effort. Boy, would be in trouble. We would all be goose-stepping right now. The, the ineptitude is, is titanic. 
to my mind. These folks are a menace. They constitute a menace. Uh, Robert asks, uh, you're one is wondering whether I am fasting for Orthodox Easter this year. Well, thank you, Robert. Yes. Orthodox Easter is, uh, is, I think it's about as late as it can be on the calendar. Of course, uh, the, uh, the, what do you call the other Easter? Um, the other Easter, Catholic Protestants, uh, they celebrated Easter, obviously early on, earlier on. And our, uh, Easter Sunday, Orthodox Easter Sunday is May 2nd. So we're still um, in Lent. And yes, I am. I'm fasting as best I can. Uh, I've given up dairy. And uh, it's difficult for me to go meatless for 40 days. I don't know whether it's my blood type, uh, but also with my schedule, I just uh, I am not mentally sharp if I give up meat. So I try to do the strict fast, obviously, the first week. And then Holy Week, we'll do the strict fast. In between, um, I, I, I guess I cheat a little bit. That's the truth of it. Um, but I just, I feel I need to do what I need to do for my, for my health. And uh, for, my, for mental clarity, such as it is, such as it is. I think we've got uh, our friend Skip on the line from Connecticut. Hello, Skip. Welcome. Yeah, hi, Richard. Great job, as always. Um, you know, the, this, the origin of this was the United States. Uh, they had these uh, so-called vaccines for the uh, spike before they had the virus, which they created in the labs here and in Wuhan, China, with Fauci being the mastermind. Well, so, I don't know about any of that. I can't say, I can't yeah, speak to yeah, that. Let me uh, tell you uh, also that's about That's speculation. Two, two more remedies uh, that you can get yourself. One is melatonin. Uh, the Cleveland Clinic uh, in Ohio about eight weeks ago said that it's a preventive to a good degree, and if you get it, it's a prophylactic to a good degree. Uh, it knocks off the most damaging protein. Uh, I can get it locally for $8. That's melatonin. And you can cross-check that with articles already on it in Google Scholar. Not regular Google, but Google Scholar about how it's been used for influenza successfully in all types of strains. Similarly, quercetin, that's Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. It's in apples, onions. You get that supplement. That also is a weaker form of hydroxychloroquine. You can get that yourself. And you can also cross-check that in Google Scholar. There's studies saying it's an obvious blocker of influenza multiple strains. So that that's something you, you can get yourself that works in many cases that they're not telling people about. All right. I appreciate it, Skip. Thank you. The point is here is we're alone. <laughs> not surprisingly, right? Right? The government is not the cavalry. They bungle and um, make things worse, by and large. We are on our own, so you've got to take care of your own immunity, all right? You're in charge of your health. You're in charge of your immunity. And I'd be curious as if anyone has been in hospital um, with COVID and whether they've asked for vitamin D and what the response was. And can we get the courts involved? Huh, I don't know. I don't know. My faith in, in government institutions 
at all branches of, of government uh, are falling faster than a stone tossed into a well. I have to be honest, and I wish it weren't so. Uh, but I would like to I would love to hear whether someone has been in hospital for COVID and asked for vitamin D and what was the response? Uh, anyway, we're taking here at the uh, the Sarat household, we're taking, I guess right now, about 2,000 international units of vitamin D uh, per day. But now listen to this. I want you to have a listen to our good friend here, Dr. Ryan Cole, who again was uh, taken down from YouTube uh, because I guess he was talking about uh, vitamin D. Here he is talking about our our favorite American uh, high-paid bureaucrat, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And this is what he had to say about uh, Fauci and vitamin D, which is also very interesting. So our esteemed Dr. Fauci said in an interview in November, well, gosh, I take eight to 9,000 units of vitamin D a day in the winter. Yet, inexplicably, that's not a public health message. In a little, you know, side interview, I'm like, well, gosh, you know it. You know it affects your immune health. You work for the government and have been in there for 40 years. Make that a message to everybody, please. Did you get that? Let me play that again. So our esteemed Dr. Fauci said in an interview in November, well, gosh, I take eight to 9,000 units of vitamin D a day in the winter. Yet, inexplicably, that's not a public health message. In a little, you know, side interview, I'm like, well, gosh, you know it. You know it affects your immune health. You work for the government and have been in there for 40 years. Make that a message to everybody, please. Dr. Fauci admits he takes 9,000 international units of vitamin D a day. He brags about it. And yet, have you ever heard Dr. Anthony Fauci or anyone, any public health official, Heard in the mainstream media who stands up in front of a camera at Queen's Park or in Parliament Hill ever, ever once managed or mention vitamin D. What could it hurt at the very least? It's uh, very interesting times we are living in, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we'll take a quick time out back with more. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Hey, welcome back. 416-360-0740. That's in the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about everywhere. 866-740-4740. 866 4740. Just a quick programming note coming up. Uh, let me see what do we have in store on tap for the next couple of weeks. And let's see. Next week, uh, we have Joseph Olson. 
uh, Joseph Olson from uh, Principia, what is the name of that organization, Scientifica Principia or something, I don't have it in front of me, apologies, but Joseph Olson has been with us before, and um, he will be back uh, next week for the full two hours talking about abiotic oil. He's a science writer, basically. Uh, Joseph A. Olson talking about abiotic oil, saying that it is it is not a non-renewable resource. Uh, it is not a fossil fuel. It is produced uh, deep within the Earth's core uh, naturally and, uh, and abundantly. And it's renewable. Abiotic oil. Uh, the following week is going to be my uh, our Orthodox Easter, so I'll be off and we'll be uh, we'll be dipping into the audio archives and uh, uh, playing a re-roll. But then Sunday, May the uh, May the ninth, and the first hour, Derek Gilbert with uh, Skywatch TV. Derek's a fantastic uh, writer and broadcaster, and he's got a new book out called Giants, Gods, and Dragons. Oh, that'll be a good one. Giants, Gods, and Dragons, about the end times. And then in the second hour, this is really uh, an enchanting fellow. He's just, um, I don't want to say a, a, a simple uh, laborer. Uh, he's very eloquent and, and wonderful and charming and, again, and again enchanting. Uh, but he is a... Um, just a humble man. He's a, you know, he's worked as a dishwasher, but he's written a book that is filled with all of these wonderful synchronicities uh, that have sort of followed him around for his in, in, entire life. And he sort of connects some interesting dots and they, they, uh, they, these cosmic coincidences, as he calls them, which is the name of his book, um, seem to revolve around rock concerts and full moons and meteor showers. And uh, uh, Joe Lorendo will be with us in the second hour in a couple of weeks. And then uh, we'll try to get back uh, the, the, uh, the great Joseph Farrell back on the show. That'll happen uh, before the end of May as well. So lots of interesting things coming up uh, on the on the program. So let's say hi to, so uh, well, she's not on the phone. She's in the YouTube chat, Solar Warden. One of the faithful asks my thoughts on the Toronto police, among other police departments, showing solidarity with rights and saying they won't randomly approach people. I was relieved, quite frankly, uh, that they did that. Not surprised uh, because the uh, I guess the brass with the various police departments, they understand a thing or two about the Charter of Rights and they know that, that that's just a not a winnable that's not tenable. You can't go down that road. Uh, so this was, I believe this was the second time our premier had, uh, you know, had tried to uh, cajole the police into doing something that was against the law, right? The Constitution is the law of the land, the charter. He was asking police to do something that was against the charter, against the law. And uh, obviously, brighter minds prevailed. And um, um, so I was delighted. That uh, I saw first, the uh, the London Police Department said we're not going to do it. Then Waterloo Region Police said no, and then Toronto. I haven't heard officially about York Region, uh, where I am. I believe Halton and Peel also said no. I'm 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 going to assume that that uh, most police departments now across Ontario have said no, but I don't know about the OPP. I I believe they are still going to. Um, enforce these checkpoints, interprovincial checkpoints. Checkpoint Charlie comes to Canada. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
this is uh, the state of things. And, and you know, I have uh, many colleagues and friends down the United States who are, are slack-jawed with this news. Uh, an acquaintance in California saying, we have to get you out of there. I, uh, I tell you, it's, uh, it's scary. I think I mentioned this uh, maybe last week on the program or maybe not, but um, my dad fought the Nazis in the Second World War helped liberate Holland in May of 1945 and passed away in 1986 at a relatively young age. And I miss him, but I am, in many ways, I am glad that he did not live long enough. Mind you, he would be 98 now if he were still alive. Uh, but I'm glad he didn't live long enough to see what has happened in our province and in our country after... Uh, after risking everything to go uh, overseas and fight, as so many did, and so many died. For what? For what? It's coming here. All right, uh, what do we have? Uh, let's see. George is asking, uh, why aren't the hospitals using therapeutics we heard about months ago, such as Regeron, Regeron, that proved to be highly effective? I don't know about Regeron. Um, I, and I don't have an answer why they're not using th therapeutics like vitamin D, for instance. It's pretty simple. Why aren't public health officials simply telling people at home as a prophylactic, take, well, Dr. Fauci takes 9,000 units a, a day. Why don't we all do that? Why don't we boost our immunity? And avoid the Cycotan, uh, is that what they call it? the Cycotan storm that is ultimately what kills us with COVID? If we, can, if we can get our vitamin D levels up there and uh, get out and exercise and get some fresh, uh, fresh air because, well, the other, the other problem is if, uh, if you're overweight, apparently you cannot, you're not going to absorb vitamin D the way you should because it's a fat-soluble uh, a vitamin. He doesn't even call it a vitamin. He calls it a pro-hormone. But if you're overweight, and we are finding, uh, the CDC listed, or came out with this report, 80%, 78%, almost 80% of people that are admitted to hospital for COVID uh, who die from COVID are obese. Isn't that an interesting connection? Isn't that an interesting connection that you, it is very difficult if you're overweight and, uh, or obese to um, absorb vitamin D because it is a fat soluble. And here we have the people most affected, aside from the elderly, are the obese. All right, back with more in a moment and some more from uh, Dr. Ryan Cole right here on The Conspiracy Show while we still can. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 
Uh, I mentioned the uh, the webcam is out, which is too bad because uh, I have something up here on my shelf, and I I was hoping a couple of people uh, down in Colorado who che- usually check out the uh, the YouTube live stream would see it. Uh, today I got a package from uh, some great friends of the show uh, who listen faithfully, Andrew and Calum. And uh, I guess um, Andrew's wife as well. I don't know her first name. I'm apologies. But Andrew and Calum uh, listened faithfully. Calum battled cancer as a, as, a, as a young boy. He beat it. He kicked cancer's ass. And I, uh, he stays up late and listens. And both Andrew and Calum, big fans of the show. And they sent me, well, they had purchased a mug uh, from my uh, Strange Planet store. Just grabbing it off the shelf here so I can uh, look at it. It's... Um, this is uh, also available as a t-shirt but it's lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep which is uh, one of my favorite sayings lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep anyway so they bought the mug and then they sent it to me they they paid for the shipping sent it to my door all the way from Colorado so that I could sign it and send it back which of course I'm delighted to do and then uh, Andrew has a 3D printer down in Colorado and he he makes uh, he makes some things and he uh he sent me a lovely little 3D uh, 2021, uh, and and the one, I guess, is a <laughs> it's a hypodermic needle for the vaccine. That pretty well sums up 20 and 2020 and 2021. So anyway, thank you, uh, Andrew, for the lovely card and the 3D uh, 3D printing artifacts that you sent me. And uh, I will sign that mug and get it off to you in the mail and and with some other goodies. So thank you for that. And hello to Andrew and Calum and uh, Andrew's lovely bride. All right, I want to play this, again, going back to uh, Dr. Cole, and I will get to some calls here and some more of your uh, comments and questions on the in the YouTube live chat. Uh, but this is very telling about vitamin D, and he's been talking about vitamin D deficiency. He said, again, to recap, there is no cold and flu season. There's only a, di- a vitamin D deficiency season, which co- corresponds with the fall and winter. Because we're not getting it. If, you, if you're north of the 35th parallel, you cannot get it from the sun. Uh, anyway, here he is. This is a very interesting. Talking about people with darker skin who live north of the 35th. Darker your skin, the further north you live, the harder it is to synthesize vitamin D. That's why the hospitalization and the death rates in the darker skinned populations, it is not social disparity. It is plain and simple biology. It is biology. The darker your skin, the further north you live, the lower your vitamin D level, the higher your risk for COVID and all other illnesses. So, you know, I understand there are some social disparities in our society and, and, you know, we can't fix that right away, but I hope we're working on it. But the biology of the disease is the darker you live, further from the equator, the less vitamin D you synthesize, the more immune suppressed you are. All right. There you go. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking about or we've been hearing about uh, racialized communities, right? Racialized communities, and they're at risk from COVID, and it's because of social injustices and social inequities in the health system. And so they, I mean, do they not breathe the same air? Do they, I don't understand, I've never understood that. Yes, there are social inequities in society, and as Dr. Cole said, we must address those, and, and we're not doing it maybe quickly enough. Uh, there's much to do in that regard, but when it comes to COVID, he just spelled it out, Right. If you're darker skinned and you're north of the 35th, you're not getting the vitamin D. It's biology. It's biology, not social inequity. Very interesting. Very telling. 
All right, we have uh, Karen, I believe, on the line. Karen, welcome. How are you? Good. Um, I've watched, I've seen the uh, Dr. Cole uh, video as well, and yes. I'm so glad you, you played the part of uh, Dr. Fauci. And also the thing about the darker skin, I, I think he said, you know, that they should actually take supplements the whole year, because even in the summer, it's harder for the sun to get through Right, right. The darker the skin is, okay. Now, the, um, what I wanted to say was um, I take 5,000 units of, um, of the vitamin D, or D3, right. because I think he said the one thing I think he said was that when you just take 1,000 units, which is what the, they typically say on the bottles and that sort of thing, is... I think the way he put it is, the 1,000 is enough to stay alive. Okay, so that's the bare minimum. Right, right. So, um, yeah, that was the recommended dosage, but Dr. Ryan Cole has said, you know, that's, it's, that's a drop in the bucket. Exactly. And uh, so there we have Dr. Fauci saying he takes 9,000. 8 to 9,000, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and so I just I decided to, when you said that you and the and and your your wife and the boys take two thousand, I thought mm, I wonder whether I should suggest that they think about taking taking some more, especially in the winter. Right. No, you're probably right. We should probably up that. I mean, if you can take up to you know nine thousand. Let me read you. This is uh, if I can find this here. Um, Oh, I got, I'm on the wrong, I've got too many WhatsApp accounts, but this is interesting. I want to find this. Okay, here we go. Uh, a randomized clinical study on vitamin D. Randomized clinical study on vitamin D. Among the many research papers, this one is called Campbell. Campbell cites showing that vitamin D is significantly beneficial in combating COVID-19. It's a study called Vitamin D Reduced Risk of ICU Admission 97%. This is a peer-reviewed study. Vitamin D reduces risk of ICU admission 97%. The study occurred at a university hospital in Cordoba, Spain, with 50 patients in the intervention group and 26 in the control group, no intervention. Intervention group patients, those with COVID-19 receiving the vitamin D, received, get this, Karen, received the equivalent of 30,000 international units per day for the first week and 7,600 international units per day thereafter. The, the control group received no vitamin D. As the study itself says, the results were astounding and highly statistically significant. Of the 50 patients in the study group, only one or 2% of the group required admission to the ICU and nobody died. Of the 26 control group patients who did not receive vitamin D, 13 of them, 50% of the group required admission to ICU, and two of them died. But again, listen to this, um, this protocol. Uh, again, this is the intervention group. Those with COVID-19 that received vitamin D, they received the equivalent of 30,000 international units per day for the first week, 30,000 IUs, and then 7,600 IUs per day thereafter. What do you make of that, Karen? Because I think I, we love. Oh, yeah. From what I understand, like the, you cannot overdose on vitamin D. Okay, so that's well, the thirty thousand. I mean, don't don't ordinarily or every day take that much, right? Because it's, it'll just be peeing it out. But um, or but um, 
I mean, obviously, it it shows, doesn't it? Thirty thousand. Indeed, 000, indeed and, it does. And then they went down to six thousand. Yeah. So I I take five to six thousand. Do you take um, um, the um, liquid or or? They're or, gel capsules. They're gel capsules. Okay, because um, if you I usually take the liquid because one drop is a thousand IU. So mm. I take five drops. You're right. So right. So it okay. would be much, you know, if you wanted to go to to up it to five or six thousand, uh, to me, um, I mean, I, that makes, take I think that's a good it, idea. I think that's a good idea, Karen. To, Thank you. Yeah. Drop, 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 drop. And there you are. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the point. We're on our own, folks. Uh, for whatever reason, they've run out of ideas. All they can say is mask up and stay at home harder. So it's up to us to take control of our immunity and take care of ourselves. And again, the offer stands anyone uh, who would like to hear the complete video from Dr. Ryan Cole, a board-certified pathologist trained at the Mayo Clinic, who uh, by his own said he read 6,000 articles this year alone, has treated you know tens of thousands of patients with COVID, and has had tremendous success uh, with uh, vitamin D and ivermectin. I'll save that one for another time. Um, just email me. Through, go through the website, strangeplanet.ca. There's a contact page there. Strangeplanet.ca. Contact me through the website. Ask. Just put vitamin D video in the uh, subject line, and I will. I'll. Uh, I don't care if it takes me all day to respond to all of them. I need to get this out there. It's vitamin D. This is not. You know, this is not controversial stuff. Unless you happen to be in the ICU with COVID and you ask your doctor for it, and they say no, you can't have it. Can you imagine? Can you believe this is happening? All right. Um, I guess that's it. We are done. So uh, my thanks to Ryan for the live stream production, Carlos for technical production back next week uh, with a brand new program. Dr. Uh, or sorry, Joseph A. Olson will be with us. Abiotic oil for the full two hours. We'll talk about other things as well. Uh, in the meantime, don't be afraid. Take your vitamin D. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Take your vitamin D. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. Take your vitamin D. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Take your vitamin D. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Take your vitamin D. Good night. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel uh, tonight, Strange Planet. Don't forget to visit strangeplanet.ca as well. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca. You know, I get uh, emails from people, tweets, Instagram messages every night or every week, uh, weekend. You know, what's on the show on Sunday? What's on the show tonight? And it's all on the website. Uh, so just go to strangeplanet.ca. Plus, on the website, you get uh, access to my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, my weekday afternoon show on News Talk Saga 960 AM, weekday afternoons. And there's a complete list of my affiliates, about 40 affiliates, which carry this show throughout North America, strangeplanet.ca. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my free monthly newsletter. This hour, my guest is going to call out the uh, dire environmental warnings coming from radical environmentalists. Not even. They're not even the radical ones anymore. The, the panic and hysteria and fear-mongering has gone mainstream. Uh, now even the leader of uh, the so-called conservative party in Canada is on board. Aaron O'Toole, uh, Lindsey Graham, Republican senator, all on board pushing the doomsday scenario of man-made climate change, all based, my guest says, and I happen to concur, on fraudulent science and scare tactics. So... Uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, the founder of Greenpeace, an organization he left after they became anti-science and anti-humanity, in fact. He'll join us uh, momentarily. He's standing by. In the second hour, open lines. And I'm going to introduce you to a board-certified pathologist trained at the Mayo Clinic. He's eminently qualified to speak about pathogens and viruses. Dr. Ryan Cole. Um, I'll play some audio from him talking about the importance of vitamin D. Wow, controversial, right? Vitamin D. And uh, his video was taken down by YouTube. Imagine that. A board-certified pathologist talking about vitamin D, and that's now considered verboten. But I grabbed it off Instagram. It's about a 28-minute video. And then I posted it as a private video on YouTube, so I could simply share the link with friends and family. YouTube took it down, even though it was a, a private link, took it down and gave me a warning that if I posted it again, my YouTube channel uh, would be shut down for, I don't know, Ryan, what is it, a week, three weeks, or something like that. So then I had Ryan post Dr. Ryan Cole's video on Rumble, so I could share it again with friends and family. I'm, I'm sending them the link. Imagine being a, a, a big tech, silencing a qualified physician for advocating for vitamin D. Well, again, I'm going to play several clips for you in the second hour. I hope you're awake and taking notes. And I will also share the link on Rumble for anyone who emails me so you can watch the entire video for yourself. It is that important. And pass it around. We're talking about vitamin D here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway, I have some other things to say about that a little bit later. Open lines in hour two. All right, let's get to it. Dr. Patrick Moore was a founding member of Greenpeace and served for nine years 
as president of Greenpeace Canada and seven years as a director of Greenpeace International. He parted ways after the organization became too radical. In recent years, Patrick has been focused on the promotion of sustainability and consensus building among competing concerns. He's still an environmentalist. He's simply a sane and reasonable environmentalist. He was a member of British Columbia's government-appointed roundtable on the environment and economy from 1990 to 1994. In 1990, he founded and chaired the BC Carbon Project, a group that worked to develop a common understanding of climate change. He's the author of several books, including Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout and his most recent one, brand new, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Dr. Patrick Moore, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm very well, Richard. Thank you. I'm on Vancouver Island in the last week of glorious spring weather with the mountains still covered in a frosting of snow and the skies as blue as can be. Ah, wonderful. Well, enjoy every moment. Uh, So would it be fair to say that really you didn't leave Greenpeace? They sort of left you. Yes, I think it is fair to say because we were doing really good work stopping nuclear weapons and stopping the slaughter of 30,000 whales every year, protecting baby seals that were being slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands while they were still suckling on their mother, and then toxic chemicals going into the environment, into the rivers and making them dead, uh, in Europe especially. Uh, So we did a lot of really good work, and that's just not the half of it. I led the campaign to stop the final capture of an orca whale, or killer whales as they're called here in British Columbia, after 65 of them had been taken from the ocean, like about 25% of all our whales had been taken into captivity where they were at that time dying young. They've since thankfully learned to breed them in captivity, but I still think that they're too big a whale to be put into a swimming pool. And so, yes, we did great work, but as time went on, beginning with a humanitarian orientation to save civilization from all-out nuclear war, Greenpeace kind of lost the peace part and just focused on the green and decided that humans were the enemies of the earth. And that was just way too much like original sin for me. We are one of the species that has evolved over the last three billion plus years on this planet, along with all of the other species. We are as much a part of all of life as any other species is. And we are not evil. We have, we, we have more, way more goodness in us than evil in us. There's probably evil, a little bit of evil in badness in every species, but I just couldn't buy that sort of argument. So I left in 1986, also because I was the only one with any science education, and the rest of them decided we should have a campaign to ban chlorine worldwide. And so that was the sharp end of the stick for me. The philosophical aspect of humans being the enemies of nature was important, of course, but when they decided to ban chlorine, which is the most important element for public health and medicine, I I had to leave. And so I went on, nicknamed myself the sensible environmentalist, basing my policies on science and logic rather than misinformation, sensationalism, and fear tactics. 
And uh, then they tried to, or someone did, I don't know if it was Greenpeace, they tried to expunge you from history, which is, of course, right out of 1984. That's the, the, the role of the central character, right? Winston Smith is supposed to rewrite the history books. They tried to do that with you. And, and so if you were to go on to Wikipedia, you were no longer listed as the founder or co-founder. Yeah, it was a bit of a joint effort on the part of all those woke crowd, but including my, my Greenpeace organization, None of the people in it that I even knew anymore, uh, well, I never knew them to begin with, is what I mean. They, they came along later. Uh, it was basically a hijacking by the political left of people who were smarter about politics than they were about the environment. Like, we were sort of more eco-freaks uh, than we were politicos. And pretty soon I noticed that a lot of the people joining Greenpeace were wearing red, red berets and army fatigues, you know, in the in the time of, of, of that era. And, and I, just, I, I just had to go, and I'm really glad I did, because they've turned into basically a racket-spreading junk science, uh, and they're making a lot of money still doing it, and the whole focus is on fundraising. And I may not get a Nobel Prize for it, but the reason I wrote my book is because I have discovered the universal theory of scare stories. And this theory is very clear that all the scare stories are based on things that are either invisible, like carbon dioxide, radiation, whatever the bad thing is in GMOs, which actually doesn't even exist. CO2 and radiation are real, but they're invisible. And, well, even the COVID, but I know you're talking about that later, but it's invisible and they're making a scare story out of it. Or not only are they not, if they're not invisible, they're so remote, like polar bears, coral reefs, and the so-called fake, Pacific Garbage Patch, which is so far out in the ocean that no one could see it for themselves if it was there. So either invisible or remote or both, that means that the activists, the media, the politicians promising to save your grandchildren from a certain death, and the scientists on serial government grants claiming the science is settled on one hand, and on the other hand begging for more money every year to continue to study apparently what we already know. And so it's a big hoax. It's a a big convergence of interests among these various elites, all of whom are working together. It's not so much a... Oh, did we lose uh, Dr. Moore? ...wearing people into giving them money. Is that what it's all about, uh, Dr. Moore, money? So, for example, let's say, and, and we'll talk about... We'll get into one of the stories here in a moment, uh, fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom. Uh, Someone like Sir David Attenborough, who I believe recently celebrated his 90th birthday, and of course he's a a champion of um, Mother Earth and uh, has a tremendous amount of influence. Um, What's in it for him? Is he just misguided, or why is he on board with these, as you say, scare tactics and fraudulent science? Well, it's interesting because David Bellamy, who was similar to him uh, on BBC doing nature things, he quit when they insisted that he played along with the game of of catastrophic climate change. But David Attenborough decided to stay on. And recently when asked why he peddles this stuff, he said, well, I just read what the writers put down for me. Like, that, that, that just amazes me. I mean, he's supposed to be the smart guy. But that's what he said. And the truth is, I have him in my book on three separate, very important lies about the environment. And one of them 
is he said that the walruses on the coast of Alaska were leaping to their death from cliffs, committing suicide because there wasn't enough ice for them anymore. When in fact, it was a pack of 20 to 30 polar bears coming from behind them. They had in their rookery, they had climbed up to a steep part where there's a cliff there. And so rather than be eaten alive by polar bears, they leapt to their death. And then the polar bears went around and ate them after, so they didn't have to kill them because it's pretty hard to kill a, a full, full-sized sea lion. A right, walrus, right. sorry. And uh, th- th- this kind of thing is, is what he's doing now. And, of course, the northern coast of Russia is a very remote place, but there is a little community there, and this was actually all documented. And Susan Crockford, on her website, Polar Bear Science, has also documented the whole thing, and so have I in my book. It's the last chapter in my book, because it's kind of the icing on the cake in terms of how much falsehood is being spread about environmental stories to scare people into thinking that the world is coming to an end. And so let me just, uh, let me just recap this story here. To tell some stories, I'd be glad to do that. Right. I just, so I just want to recap that. So this was actually featured. I'm not sure which uh, David Attenborough special it was in, uh, but they showed these walruses um, leaping off of this cliff. And, and we hear David, Bat- David Attenborough's voice saying that this is because of climate change. There's, no, there's not enough ice. And so, uh, what, presumably they, they climbed up to the top and said, oh, I can't go on. There's not enough ice. And then they jumped off. Meanwhile, we now know the backstory is that in behind them off camera was a pack of polar bears uh, that were, were coming uh, upon them. And then rather than rather than be eaten by polar bears, they they leapt to their death. Correct. And I mean, he that's... sticks to his story, and he just told it to the people in Davos. Half of them were apparently weeping in their seats because he, he gives such a, a, an emotional uh, speech about this terrible situation. He says that the ice is the, polar, is the walrus's home. It is the polar bear's home. That's another story. But the, he said the ice is the walrus's home. No, they just haul out on it to rest and to give birth, or on the land, which is where they were in this case. They were on the land. You see, walruses are a coastal species. They, their food is only in, like, 100 to 300 feet of water. That's what their tusks are for, is to dig clams down on the bottom. Like, they can't feed in 6,000 feet of water. So if there's no ice near the shore, which happens very often in, in the summer, they have to haul out on the shore. And he said that they hauled out on the shore out of desperation because there wasn't enough ice. But the weird thing is, is that that place on the shore in Russia is designated as a walrus habitat, like it's officially designated. So they must have been hauling out there for a while. It's not in desperation. That's where they go when they want to come out of the water. And so how does he get away with something? That would that kind of, let's say, journalistic malfeasance would, would ruin, or once upon a time it would, I guess not anymore, the rules have changed. But that kind of stuff, remember Dan Rather and, and that whole thing on uh, George Bush, I mean, that really devastated his career. How is it that he's able to get away with that? I don't know, Richard. I'm just pointing it out. So, And hopefully yeah. if more people buy my book and this becomes more general knowledge, he won't get away with it. Let me tell you one other absolutely despicable thing that he is saying. He is saying that 
seabirds, albatross in particular, that the parents are feeding plastic bags to their chicks, mistaking it for food. Now, he holds up a plastic bag on an albatross colony. He doesn't show any albatross feeding a plastic bag to its chick. They don't feed plastic bags to their chick, but they do feed hard bits of plastic that are floating in the sea in the same that they would feed small bits of pumice, wood chips, and, uh, and nuts, anything hard. You see, birds don't have teeth, so they can't chew their food. They have to swallow it whole. And they have a gizzard, which is a second right. stomach, where they put, like, land birds eat pebbles. And the parents feed the, when the birds are in a nest, a seagull or what, an eagle or a crow, the parents feed the chicks with pebbles so that they can grind the food in their gizzard. So they're not mistaking it for food. They're giving it to them as a digestive aid. Now, David Attenborough wrote The Secret Life of Birds and did a 10-part series on BBC on birds. He knows that birds have gizzards. He knows they need to take in small, hard objects to grind the food in the bird's gizzard. And he lies about it to say that the parents are feeding their chicks plastic bags, mistaking it for food. Birds aren't that stupid. They know the difference between food and a plastic bag. And they don't so, but those, the plastic bag would be of no use to the chick. What right. is of those, use to those, the chick is pieces of hard plastic. Okay. Now, those bits of hard plastic in the bird's gizzard, will that cause them harm? Of course not. They wouldn't feed them ones that do. They... You know, for example, a squid's beak is quite sharp, right. and albatross feed squid to their chicks, and when the, after the, the chicks have digested the squid, they, they retain the beak in their gizzard. And these objects wear out after a time. They have to be constantly eaten, and adult birds, all adult birds, have to continually ingest hard bits of something. And stones are used on land, but there's no pebbles in the ocean. So out there, it's actually quite a job to get enough material. And often there isn't enough pumice, which is floating lava from undersea volcanoes. That's what they prefer. But it isn't always there because there hasn't always been an eruption. So they have to resort to using pieces of, 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 of wood, you know, floating wood, or, or nuts that have fallen off a banyan tree or whatever into the ocean and have drifted out or these days bits of plastic and this is coming in very handy for them in other words part of the plastic that that ends up in the ocean is doing a very useful job for the biology of seabirds and it's yeah it's plastic is gets an awful rap well we're going to spend some time and talk about plastic we'll talk about this Good. huge invisible island of plastic i've heard that is I don't know, twice the size of the state of Texas or whatever. And I have to admit, you know, this one always sort of concerned me because I, I don't know, I just, it, 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 it sounded almost like an intractable problem uh, that it, the, the plastic had deteriorated to the level that you couldn't, you couldn't just scoop it up. It's, it's, it's so small now. And, and, and I would, 
I would kind of uh, uh, not agonize, but I had a little bit of anxiety about that. But when we come back, you're going to disabuse us of this notion that there is even that this even exists, this plastic island. Uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, founding member of Greenpeace, former president of Greenpeace Canada, now the sensible environmentalist, and his brand new book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.